literally the best name we could think of for what will surely be the greatest podcast in the history of recorded media. I'm Nora Katz. And I'm Jill Poskanser. We're transatlantic friends and TV junkies with a passion for writing, politics, and breakfast food. Welcome! Welcome! Yes. Today we're talking about Parks and Recreation, Season 1, Episode 5. <gasps> Again! The Banquet. It aired on May 7th, 2009, and it was written by Tucker Cawley and directed by Beth McCarthy Miller. Here's the first fun fact of our episode. I know both those people! What? Amazing! Yeah, I worked with Tucker on The Odd Couple, two seasons, and Beth McCarthy Miller directed a couple episodes. That's so cool. She's our yeah. first female director of the series great. for Parks. And she was the She's such she a was director. director for SNL for nine years, which I did not know, so that's awesome. She's a really great director. She, like, goes in knowing what she wants to do and, like, gets it done, and it's great. And Tucker's, like, just amazing to work with. Like, I just, like, felt very lucky to get to, like, work with him and watch how he does his craft. So, shout out to both Tucker and Beth. If you guys ever listen to this, you're both great. Amazing. Um, yeah. Here's our little mini summary from IMDb. And I use Irish IMDb, and so mm. it might be different from what you in the States are reading. <laughs> um, at a banquet honoring her mother, Leslie wait, dies. Wait, I think it should be, it, the difference is that you read it in an Irish accent. I really can't do an Irish accent. You have to try I've now, I've lived though, here sorry. for almost ten months, and I still It's time for you it. to try. No. It's, no. Please, please, please. No, because my Irish accent sounds like a Midwest accent. Do it, do it, do it, do it. At a banquet honoring her mother, Leslie tries No, that was good. At a banquet honoring her mother, Leslie tries to convince a local zoning official. <laughs> no, I see. I saw, I'm doing like. I'm no, doing it's like good. It's good. Keep going. Leslie tries to convince a local zoning official to support her park project, but sensing resistance, Leslie resorts to blackmail. Meanwhile, Tom and. De- Tom and Mark ditch the festivities to hit the bars, which is not what you would say in Ireland. You'd say they're going to go, like, have a sesh, or, like, they're going to go to the pubs, or they're going to go for a pint. So Great. that was your cultural uh, engagement of the day. I loved that. That's my favorite moment of this podcast. We just started recording. <laughs> That's how much I loved that. Yeah, let's get into the cold open. Yeah, let's do this. We got the same awesome little park area that they've been using for other cold opens which I love deeply, um, and an amazing origin story for the capital of Indiana. Yeah, um, I, don't, I didn't write down the name of the pioneer, but Leslie is showing us the spot in the park where this famous pioneer was murdered. She says this is where the murder happened. He was defacitated. He was. She says he gave uh, Wampoke Indians a baby for the land that is now Indianapolis. <laughs> and in response, quote-unquote, they cut off his face and made it into a dream catcher, which is scarier than anything I've ever seen on film or television. That's what's great about Just, Indians. They used every part of the pioneer. <laughs> and our racist mural count goes up to three. Yes! I actually didn't write that down. Good count. I'm going to add that to my notes. Amazing. Racist mural count three. I wonder who is in charge of painting these and where they are now. Well, I there was a great interview with Mike Sher that I saw where he was talking mm. about like hiring the artists to do these because it's multiple artists mm. that they hired like over the oh, course cool, of the okay. series. Imagine that phone call. And apparently they were in, apparently they were inspired by um, Bill Hader of SNL fame. Got married in a, a city hall in either North or South Dakota, one of the Dakotas, and. Um, Mike Sure, among others, was there, and th- they had these amazing murals, and when they were doing the wedding, they, like, asked for some of them to be covered up, because they were, like, so offensive, <laughs> they didn't want to have to, like, 
have them be a part of their special day. That's I'll find that interview and, and throw it in the links. Someday, if we're more fancy, we can like cut in sound bites and whatnot. That's true, but I we could be doing that now, but I'm worried about copyright. Oh, then never mind, kids. <laughs> Don't break copyright laws. I mean, or do just like a tad. Just push the envelope legally. You know what? We live in a world where laws don't apply anymore. <clears throat> James Comey. <clears throat> so, you know, it's really just, it's a free-for-all. I feel like if the President of the United States can, like, do some light treason, light spelled L-I-T-E, and also just ignore the word light in that sentence, I can uh, intercut a soundbite of Mike Schur on some dumb late-night talk show. But, you know what? I, like, I hold myself to a higher standard because I'm not a white Protestant man with a full, rich mustache. Counterpoint, counterpoint, Nora. If you are a woman and can get arrested for laughing at Jeff Sessions, where is the, where's the spectrum of what Jason you're allowed to, to do? Yeah, that's true. Also, here's a question. You're, I feel, a little more politically savvy than me. I keep up to date, except on the correspondence dinner thing last week, which I didn't keep up to date on. But I know what's going on. But I don't always know or like take the time to try to understand the implications um i mean i'll get a lot of like information from different news sources but then i don't always try to parse them myself which is not always great um sometimes i'm just too tired to like it's it's one thing after another it's constant 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 but my question for you today is at what point should i be buying my tickets to move to canada um i think you can wait you can wait a little bit. Moving to Canada, okay. moving all of the good liberal activist artist Democrats moving to Canada is what they want. No, no, here's, here's what I'm, I'm not thinking about that so much as I'm thinking about, like, I've been watching The Handmaid's Tale, and at what point is it, like, I'm, like, I'm not being woken up enough to realize that I should be getting out before it turns into the Republic of Gilead. When is that going to happen? Yeah, I, I understand. I understand. I think I think we're definitely moving in that direction, but I think we're gonna. Okay. We're gonna, I have faith that that the twenty eighteen midterms are gonna roll around before we fully get there. Okay, great. Okay, that's what I'm hoping. Anyway, um, I mean, I would like to stay here in fights, but not if I think I'm literally going to be murdered and or forced into burying children for old white men. Yes, that's true. That is my cutoff. That is my cutoff. I think that my blind optimism is slightly unfounded, especially based on this past week in the news. See, same. And just the endless human rights violations that are being pushed through Congress as something that is supposed to be helping people. Don't even get me it's started. Appalling. Anyway. Um, this morning I was like in the shower because I do all my good thinking in the shower. And I was wondering if I had a chance to speak to Paul Ryan. And if I had a chance to ask him a question in full before he interrupted me and started talking about how great his f***ing healthcare bill is, um, I would ask him this. I would say, Paul Ryan, you grew up in this country. You grew up in America. You read all the history textbooks. You, like, passed our, like, elementary, secondary school, all that stuff, because you have to. Um, and here we are, and you have read and understood that the people who try to suppress change and diversity um, are always on the wrong side of history. Always, always, always. How can you know and internalize all of that and still behave in the deplorable fashion that you continue to behave in? Because how can you not, think? None of these actions are for like the common good. They're not for helping people. Um, they're not for that. They're for the personal, financial, and political gain of the people enacting the policies. And they don't care if they're hurting people. You really don't think? I feel like he thinks he's helping. 
no, to keep things on the side of he's No, he's evil. He's pure evil. But but does I, I know that and you know that. Does he know that? Does he know he's evil? Or does he think he's right and that like people like us are evil? No, I used to think that he was like just doing what he thought was the right thing. You know, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's delusional if he thinks he's doing the right thing, but is he, is that what it is? I, I really honestly think that he's just like getting sadistic joy out of the fact that, okay, that's out of the fact that people are going to die. Like people are going to die okay. because of this. Thing. I mean, that, that, that like opinion completely 100% tracks with every thing he's ever done in his life. Yeah. So that could be the case. Yeah. That could be the case. I'm wondering if that's the case or if it's that he truly thinks he's like gonna be like lauded in the history books 100 years from now. He's gonna be lauded as someone who got, had great personal gain from um, being paid off by various um, lobbyists for evil. He's such a little slime ball. He is su- such he's a big slime ball. And that face... And I think... That face. Oh my god. He, you can just tell. He looks like Eddie Monster. <laughs> this is a true fact. This is uh, a true kind fact. Of is Google, Google I, his high school yearbook think, picture. I have done this. He looks like Eddie I don't want to Google. I want to give Paul Ryan any more hits on, on the Google. But I will say this. Trump has done a lot of deplorable things his whole life. Everything. Everything he does is pretty deplorable. Um, I've never seen a list of anything nice he's done. You could throw him in a basket of deplorables. But do you know what... One of the worst things Trump has ever done is make Paul Ryan look reasonable in comparison for a while there. Nope. For a while there, I forgot how bad Paul Ryan was because Trump was, like, eating up the news with his campaign and whatnot. And then that was back before Paul Ryan, when Paul Ryan, like, kind of pretended he had a spy and he was like, we don't really like Trump. And I was like, oh, at least he's saying that. And then, like, as soon as it was clear Trump was the nominee, he was like, just kidding, the Republicans no, have rallied together. No, Paul Ryan, let me tell you a story about how Paul Ryan is warm tongue. Paul Ryan, he's got two first names. Oh my god. Did you just throw Talladega Nights yep. into this again? Yep. Yep, I did. No, Continue. Paul Ryan is worm tongue, except Donald Trump isn't Theoden. He's Sarah Man. Yes. Yes. That's the analogy tracks right there. Also, you know how I feel about worm tongue because the guy who played worm tongue also played Chucky in the Chucky movies. And he's a wonderful actor. It seems like he's a nice person, but Chucky did ruin my childhood. Okay, but Paul Ryan is worm tongue. You can you you can take that to the bank, as Jill said. And now he's Paul Ryan is ruining my adulthood, so it's all full circle. Oh my god! Also, the take it to the bank things is a McElroy's reference. Have you listened to my brother? My brother and me. Um, no, but you talk about it all the time, <laughs> so I feel like I've heard it. It's great, kids. Listen to my brother, my brother and me. Actually, that's a lie. I don't listen as often as I should, but I love Monster Factory, so. You can trust anyway. Jill for all of your, like, good web content and me for your good podcast references. So. That's true. Although that, I just did a podcast reference. Yeah, that's true. So I think what's, it's... What's the world What I to? just said isn't tracking, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, there's always going to be more smack-talking of Republican politicians who seem to have only their own best interests at heart, but let us continue on our Parkson recap. Act 1 begins with Leslie's invitation to the awards banquet for the Anthony V. Tellinson Award for Excellence in Pawnee Public Service. And I oh gosh. would just like to say something about myself, which is that in watching television shows, whenever there's like a close-up on a newspaper, an invitation, a letter, or whatever, I always pause it and zoom in Same really far to try to read it. 
And so if you'll recall, this episode aired on May 7th, 2009. The date on the invitation is Friday, May 8th, 2009, which means that the episode aired the day before the banquet. <laughs> I was endlessly entertained by this. And the area code of the phone number to RSVP is 812, which is the correct area code for Southern Indiana. And this is, this is another thing I love to do in TV shows that take place in a fictional place, um, is try to aggregate all the clues about where the fictional place is because it's you sort of can narrow it down like with all the clues so that's the unless first. it's Springfield whatever insert state here of the Simpsons yes they have done they have done a spectacular job over the last 30 years of making sure no one knows where that place is yes well Stars Hollow Connecticut which is another great TV town sort of like you have a general sense is it though Taylor Dozy is kind of the worst would you want to live there? Jill and I have very different opinions on this. <laughs> um, I love Gilmore Girls. Like, it's despite how style. problematic it is that it's basically, like, this white haven that, like, doesn't, couldn't possibly exist in real life. It's terrible. Oh, I love, I do love Gilmore Girls, though. I'm not, I'm not hating on Gilmore Girls. I'm hating specifically on Taylor Nosey. I do love it, but Stars Hollow was just, like, the whitest town um, but so anyway, the area code is the first of many clues throughout the series as to the exact location of the fictional town of Pawnee. It's in southern Indiana. So. They did tell us that, though. I will say that. They did tell us, isn't it? They did tell us that, but you could have, you could have screenshotted <laughs> the episode and zoomed in really far. <laughs> Who's the real fan? <laughs> so, um, and the recipient of this award of... In the banquet that Leslie's been invited to is in fact Leslie's mother, Marlene Griggs Nope. And Leslie really wants to be the Kennedys. She really does. She really does. A couple Which times. I identify with. Like again, I have her same issues with it in terms of the alcoholism and the just debilitating issues. They've had some bad luck. Yeah, they've had some they've had some very bad luck. But That's um what comes to mind when I hear the Kennedys now, sadly, is like mm, not great luck. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Leslie's mom is somewhat somewhat controversial figure in Pawnee, Indiana. Um, and I have this note, which is not to super spoil, but Ron has this nickname he quote-unquote came up with for for Leslie's mother. And something interesting about, like, any, like, first season of a TV show is that, like, the characters, like, have some growing pains. And that's interesting to me because I feel like, slight spoiler, later seasons Ron would not come up with a nickname like that for a woman. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it works perfectly fine in this episode, but just, like, knowing, like, what I know about where they eventually kind of developed the character to. It, yeah, it, it's kind too of, it was mean. kind of, it was a weird bump. Yeah, yeah. it was too mean for Ron. Um, too misogynistic for Ron. Yes. Yeah, at this point in the series, totally works with him, but like later on, like the retcon, it's a little odd. Yeah. No, I definitely, yeah. I definitely agree with you. So that, that's a spoiler, honestly, because like if you're just watching along for the first time, like that works perfectly fine. Um, but like having seen all seven seasons, like and going back, that was like a kind of just a weird, strange out-of-body experience for me. I would also say that some people who watch Parks and Rec for the first time watch the first season and, like, are sort of turned off. Um, and if one of the things that tur that turns you off is Ron's personality, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. They really do, like... And this is, just, again, the case for any TV show. Like, as you develop a character, like, you change their personality in, like, small but little fundamental ways, and that just is one of the ways that Ron will change moving forward. Yes. Yes. But, but also, like, this is, we've now hit the part of the season that I had, again, not seen. So it's the first time watching this episode for me. But where I really do feel like it's hitting its stride, like, this was the first episode where I was like, this, 
this is like this feels more like season two, season three, Parks and Rec. Like, mm-hmm. This feels more in line with the Parks and Rec that I'm more familiar with, having not seen all of the season. Yeah. Um. So Great. next, Leslie has Tom take notes. Um, as she dictates her speech for the evening. And it really seems weird to me that she's writing the speech the day of. She's a busy lady. She's got a lot of parts. Yeah, but that's like you she's got and... got a lot of recreation stuff. Yeah. And Tom does a really bad job. Um, he is trying his best. Well, no, that's a lie. He's really not. I love him. He's he is just like so funny in this scene. Like Aziz Ansari is... is... Aziz Ansari is one of the great comedic minds of our like times. Oh, so really. good. He talks about really how Abraham Lincoln would start his speeches. Quote, my name's <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. I'm the president of the United States. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, he might have. We don't know. We don't have video evidence. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's true. Um, and then Anne Perkins is excited about going out because Andy being in a cat in a cast did I say cast weird? Yeah. Andy being in a cast has hampered their social lives somewhat. And Leslie on the phone tells Anne that this is like fancier than like the Oscars and the Tonys and like every awards show you've ever heard of combined. So Anne's like, great black tie. I loved that bit because I really think that Mike and Greg love the characters miscommunicating about dress codes bit. Because it happens Here, and it also happens twice in the office. Oh. Um, the first time is when Michael and his girlfriend Carol wear Halloween costumes to a Diwali party because Michael has told her that it's, like, a dress-up party, and so she comes dressed as a cheerleader and he comes in his, like, two-headed costume. And then the other time is later in the series when Daryl tells Val, who he's, like, sort of into, that the Christmas party is really fancy, and so she shows up in a ball gown, which... So I think that that, that bit of, like, one person miscommunicating to the other about what a dress code is is, like, yeah. something that has come up. A solid bit. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I love I love a good visual gag, and that, as visual gags go, that is a very solid one. Yes. Yes. So in the meantime, Leslie goes to Salvatore, who's a famous Pawnee barber, oh. to get her hair done for the awards. And she comes out looking, and my note says, a Hillary-esque thing, question mark? I didn't know how to describe it. I think it is, I think it is Hillary-esque. So, so that it's the, that's the mayor haircut. It's the haircut of the mayor. Yeah. As Salvatore calls it. And then we have all these, like, amazing, like, plays on, like, gender that happen throughout the rest of the episode. Yeah. Um, and I think that Leslie, like, hasn't really thought about, like, what a barbershop is. Um, you know, because, like, <laughs> that's they okay. have the gender binary, but she could have considered a hairdresser who works with women. Um, I mean, but she wanted to go to the famous political guy. I know, like, I know. Well, one of his, yeah. on, like, the wall with the photographs of his former clients, one of them is Dan Quayle. Yeah. I don't know if that's a face that people recognize, but it's Dan Quayle. And he was a Republican congressman and a senator from Indiana, and he went to um, college and graduate mm-hmm. school in Indiana, and he's from there. And he was also vice president with George H.W. Bush from 1989 to 1983. Um, and he was famously really, really dumb. <laughs> That was a lot of great political facts off the top of your head. Like, I'm impressed. Well, I had to Google some of them, but I oh, did know oh, who Dan Quayle impressive. was, and I recognized him from the picture, but <laughs> I, had, I had to do some, I had to do some light Googling. Well, he, this Still. is something I didn't know. Is, is light spelled L-I-T? Yes. Cool. Yes. We'll circle on that joke. <laughs> um, great. So Leslie and Anne are spectacularly overdressed for this, like, two-bit Indiana media award thing. In like a hotel ballroom. Political awards. Um, and then there's this really sad beat where this formal councilman oh. comes over and he's like, I'm so glad you guys have like, like the pride to be out here together. Like, I wish I had that. And he like walks away and I'm like, what like a, 
That's, that really made me sad. Like, I'm so sad that he feels like... That's, like, such a good queer moment. I was like, yes, this is amazing. Yeah, like, good for... Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, that really, like, even in a show that's that so far has really, really relied more on humor than, like, those kind of, like, emotional beats, that was, that emotional beat, like, really worked for me, and it's, like, a character we have never met before. Former city councilman Frank Schnoppel. That's a great name. The names in this are phenomenal. My next note is all the names of the former Tellerson Award winners are amazing. And here are some examples. Quentin Arbel, Dawn Crank, who sloughed her way to the top of the DMV, <laughs> Jeffrey Morgelsberg, and Wilmer Visum. Like, all of those are phenomenal, and I wish, like, they would all come back as characters later on. Ugh. I don't know if they do. I don't think so. I don't think they do. Um, but <laughs> Leslie has an encyclopedic knowledge of the entire Pawnee government. Just deeply amazing. Which is awesome. Um... And then Mark and Anne and Leslie have this great moment where, like, Leslie is going to talk to this member of the zoning board, Janine Restrepo. Janine Restrepo. Um, and Mark, like, holds her nose to, like, try to calm her down, and then Anne holds his nose, and then Leslie holds Anne's nose. Um, and I did, that was, like, such, like, an awkward, like, real moment. And Mark, like, finally <laughs> actually cracks and, like, shows affection and care for Leslie. Like, finally. I know. Finally. It seems like he's into Leslie. Finally. Let's keep watching. Um, but then there's a talking head where Mark says, it's fun to pretend to be zoning board members. And my note says, the most likable Mark has been yet, honestly. That is so true. And that talking head is like, it's so telling of, he is suddenly realizing that like, oh, like Leslie is maybe not just like a bumbling idiot. Like I'm into her. Yeah. And like maybe she and also Anne are fun, enjoyable people he might want to spend more time with. Uh-huh. Yep. Both of them. Or maybe or just, just one, of, one them. of them. Maybe both. We'll see. Who knows? Um, so then Leslie talks to her mother about wanting to speak to zoning board member Janine Restrepo. And Leslie's mom says, make the speech that Leslie is about to give work for us. Um, so Leslie gets up there and the speech is just as, Marlene is my mom and Janine is here and important. <laughs> and Leslie loves both of them. But before she gets on stage, Marlene says to Leslie, make sure you butter her up. And Leslie goes, I will. I'll make her feel like a human dinner roll. <laughs> An amazing, amazing line. <laughs> um, and I think I it's funny that. because Marlene has, like, sometimes been sort of on the side of, like, oh, come on. Like, it's just, like, a small town city government. But then she's also on the side of, like, taking the Pawnee government so seriously. Like, at a mm -hmm. level that, like, the stakes become so high all of a sudden and I felt like that didn't totally match up with what my understanding of her was before but I felt like she she was at Leslie's level of stakes so it worked but I'm just interested in how her her like tack has changed yeah I mean again also still developing characters and she's only been in one episode before this so yeah we have less to go off with her I guess but... oh absolutely anyway then Tom gets a chance to work the crowd which he is amazing at he basically just kind of uses it to like hit on Marlene in that way that, like, younger men sometimes do to older women just to kind of, like, get into their good graces and it seems to work like a charm. Is that a thing? Sure, like, you know when, like, two women come into, like, a store or something there's a guy there and, like, one of them is clearly the mother and he's like, hi, like, young woman, oh, and this must be your sister and then the old woman is like, oh, 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 oh you, like that. You see that in media a lot. Sure. Yeah. Do you do that at the cat cafe? I don't. But how weird would it be if I did? I think you should start. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I think not. <laughs> and then Anne is like talking on the phone with Andy and he wants a meatball and ham hoagie, which... Is that two different subs? <laughs> no? Just one? I don't think they okay. made that. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then, in my favorite moment of the episode, Ron has a talking head where he explains that he's going to deliver a speech of facts. And he gets up there, and he's like, Marlene, you are a woman. <laughs> ends with, Marlene, it is true that you have won this award. <laughs> Just amazing. Just the best. Um, and then Tom and Mark ditch Anne at the table to go to a bar to pick up chicks. Yeah. Yeah. Which, great. And now Anne is left utterly alone. She knows nobody. Except for Leslie, who is trying to deal with Janine Restrepo. Yes. Marlene wants Leslie to blackmail Janine with knowledge of her husband's out-of-state DUI. Um, yeah, because he's blowing them off, she believes. Yes. Um, and... And sort of reveals that all the former winners of the Talentson Award are also scumbags who, like, have done... Yeah, she's like, everyone at that table is the worst! Which I do... I definitely feel that, because I think that that is... That's something that can often be a reality, that people get recognized, and the only reason that they've gotten to the top is because they are doing bad things. Um, mm. And Anne is really wise and discourages Leslie from listening to her mom. And then Leslie, he sort of snaps back at her with like, hey, you have a terrible relationship with Andy and he treats you really badly. Yeah, um, yeah which is kind of unfairly mean to Anne. And Anne, like, rightfully is like, all right, well, I'm out. Yes, but I do think that Leslie is, like, coming from a place of mu- much truth. I mean, oh, absolutely. But, like, maybe that maybe. was not the... Andy's, like, the worst boyfriend ever. Really, truly. He's really deeply awful. I love him, obviously, because Chris Pratt's a gem, but <laughs> just terrible boyfriend. Dump him, Anne! Um, so then we sort of cut back and forth to Tom and Mark at Scully's bar, and Tom is doing this thing he's calling peacocking with a ridiculous orange hat. He picked that hat himself from the wardrobe department. Really? So this is Zari's idea. Um, he and, like, Mike Sherm were reading, like, some famous book about, like, how to pick up, like, chicks and, like, how to, like, come off, like, well with the ladies or something. Yeah. Um, like, as an, he, like, brought in as an example of something he felt like Tom would do. Mm-hmm. And one of those things was peacocking, so he went to the wardrobe department and selected that hat, which is a woman's hat. No. And you know what? He works it. It works for him. He does work it. Proving that Aziz Ansari could wear anything and make it work for him. That's true. Because the hat is pretty ridiculous. This is a pro tip to anyone who is interested in being a gentleman caller of mine. If you walk up to me with a fuzzy orange hat on, I will give you a second look. So, just by the way. So peacocking works on you. I think peacocking with a ridiculous orange hat would work. Or like um, Groucho glasses or like a or like a propeller hat. Take notes, guys. Or or like a sequined glove. One single sequined glove. Yeah. Not two though. Two is ridiculous. Two is overkill. Two is overkill, and that's why Michael Jackson only wore one, because as we know, Michael Jackson was the picture of austere restraint. <laughs> How do you move forward from that? Anyway, Leslie kiss and make up, and Mark comes back to the banquet, like, sort of looking for them, and they're gone. Well, no, but first Leslie tries to blackmail Janine Restrepo. Oh, yeah. First Leslie tries to bla- Sorry, I forgot about that, because I, d- I didn't want to see one of my favorite characters, like, doing a bad thing. You just blocked it from your mind. <laughs> Look, and then nothing happened, and then the episode ended, and everything was great. Um, Leslie does go up to Janine, and kind of hints that she knows about her husband, and when Janine doesn't pick up on her hints, she tells her that she knows about her husband, and Janine Restrepo, zoning board member, throws a drink in Leslie's face. And Leslie immediately feels terrible, which, fair. Apparently when they were filming that, they only did, like, two takes, because Amy Poehler started anticipating it, and it didn't look real, so they basically just used the first one. Yeah. Um... But it works. Makes sense. Have you ever had a drink thrown in your face, and or thrown a drink in someone's face? Not the first one. Have I thrown a drink in someone's face? 
if I had, it wouldn't have been like it would have been for a bit. Serious. It would have been like it would have been like the person knew. I don't think I have. Have you? No, I don't. I'm trying to think if I've done it in a play because that's the only context where I would have. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, next time we're in the same place, we'll throw drinks in each other's faces. We'll throw drinks in each other's faces, Perfect. and then we can have this conversation again, and we'll have real life world experience. Stay tuned. The next time Nora and Jill are together, they're gonna throw drinks in each other's faces. Yeah. Um. So you already sort of shared your favorite favorite moment of Ron's speech. Do you have another favorite? Um. That's the only one I highlighted as like favorite favorite moment. Um. But the other one I really. It's, it worked so well for me. I, I mentioned it already, but the moment where the formal ca- former councilman confesses like to Leslie and Anne that he's closeted, that like kind of seeing them kind of make him feel a little better, even in those times where he still doesn't feel comfortable enough to come out. I thought that was just like what a lovely little character be. Be careful about clicking, dude. Am I clicking? Yeah. Sorry, guys. I have ADD, so to promote some ADD awareness, I fiddle with a lot of things, and I was fiddling with. I was highlighting and unhighlighting like text on Microsoft Word. I don't know if other people who have ADD also do that, but if you do, you should leave a comment saying, "Hey, I also do that," so I don't feel so alone in this world. Thanks. Anyway, <laughs> what was your favorite moment? Um, I just really I love this episode again. I sort of agree with you that like things are gelling a little bit more. But one of Tom's suggestions mm-hmm. when he's helping Leslie write the speech, um, of of a thing that she could say about her mom is quote Marlene Griggs note has said the n word only four times in her entire life, and I thought that was just so like so like, brilliant. <laughs> and Leslie Leslie's like no, and Tom goes I mean she said it more than four times. <laughs> He's coming up because of these like these little like microaggressions Marlene could have committed, and like Leslie is like appropriately like just horrified by them. But Tom just like how many can I get away with before Leslie like. Stops me, <laughs> but it's great. With that line, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's so genius." <laughs> I, I Tom is such a good character. I just love it. I love all these characters. April, still great. I had a couple moments. Yes, mostly reaction moments. But I just Aubrey Plaza's face is doing like as good work as anybody delivering lines. Her face right does now. the work of eight or nine normal faces. It's just truly, truly, just incredible. She's good people. She's a good actress. She's a good actress. Um, well, Nora, anything else you have to share about this episode? No, I think uh, that might be it for this week's episode. And do we only have one more episode in season one left? We do only have one more episode <gasps> in season one left. And we're, oh my gosh. we're going to record it right now, and it's going to be released along with this one. So in your iTunes feed, where you're subscribed, it's going to just automatically go to play season one, episode six. So, oh my gosh! You lucky ducks! I know. Like I'm jealous oh, of you. To be you, oh listener. <laughs> to be blessed with this audio content. Who brought this episode to us? Are we feeling? This episode was brought to you by Irish IMDB, which I think is the oh, same. Yes. Except with some alternate spellings. Yeah, and um, Nora's really wonderful Irish accent. I really think she brought us all. Oh, it's truly terrible. I apologize to all of my Irish friends who are going to hear this and be really offended. I felt like I was in Dublin. It really, it was really evocative for me. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Um, Well, that is it for this week's episode. Uh, Check us out at soundcloud.com backslash podcast and rec and on iTunes and on Stitcher. And pretty please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, We live for comments. And no one has left any yet, so you could be the first, and you can comment first, just like in the 
the days of old on YouTube. Or you could write something of, of substance. But you know what? As long as you write something and you give us five stars, I'll take it. <laughs> different strokes, different folks. <laughs> and music for this week's show was courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. We are on Twitter at Podcast and Rec. You can follow Jill on Twitter at Ms. Jill Madeline. And you can find me at NoraCats.com. And if you have questions, comments, business inquiries, fun stuff to share, um, any type of confession about whether you think that Leslie Nope is a gay icon, you can shoot us an email at podcastandrec at gmail.com. That feels like a discussion for a future podcast. That's like a whole... Is Leslie a gay icon? I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll find we'll out find moving out. forward because <laughs> we're done with this week's. <laughs> we love you and we like you. Bye. Goodbye.